I had a great experience last Monday night that just blessed me and gave me some encouragement. I was out at West Lake Village where they were holding a council on evangelism called the West Point Evangelism Council. I was asked to preach the sermon on uh, Monday night. My topic was the keys of the kingdom, the prince and the temple, and the worm and the mountain that all you folks have heard before, but they hadn't heard it, so they got it. And before the meeting, a young man came up to me. I had no idea what he was going to say to me. Never seen him before. He came up and he said, can I see you for a minute? I said, sure, have a look. <laughs> he, said, he said, can I see you for a minute? He said, a few months ago, I was heavily involved with drugs. He said, I was uh, just taking drug after drug. And he said, one night in my stupor, I was clicking through the channels and picking up all the different channels on satellite TV. And he said, I got you. <laughs> and he said, I listened to you talk. Now, I say this to the glory of God. This ought to give us encouragement. It gave me encouragement. I needed a shot in the arm last Monday night, and God gave it to me. He gave me a shot in the soul. And he said, after watching your program, he said, that night I didn't feel like taking drugs. He said, I haven't taken them since. And he said, night after night, I tuned in, and I got the Carter Report. And he said, you appeal to people to give their lives to Christ. He said, I gave my life to Jesus. And he said, I've, isn't that good news? And then he said to me, I found a preacher who preaches what you preach. <laughs> and he said, I was baptized, and I'm a member of the church. And I'm along here at the Evangelism Council because I want to become an evangelist. I tell you, my friend, God spoke to me last Monday night, and God said, it's worth it all. It's worth it all. I want you to know it's worth it all, my friend. I thought of the text, and it came into my mind, and I used it with the evangelists. Romans 1, you know the text. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel of Jesus Christ reached out and touched that young man, and today he's a saved soul going home to glory and wanting to take others with him. I say, glory be to God. I want to say this to you seriously. Now is the time to invest our dollars in the work of God. I got a bit of a shock this week. The Australian economy is about as solid as you can get anywhere in the world. But in this world, there's nothing solid, friend. You know what's happening in Japan, don't you? Japan, the mighty Japan, the second biggest economy in the world, is floundering and is going into recession, maybe into depression. And then South Korea, the 11th biggest economy in the world, has gone bankrupt. It's gone bankrupt, friend. Did you hear this? And then Indonesia has taken a hard hit. Indonesia has gone to her knees. The Australian economy that I believed was tremendously sound is tied in with, Japan, with the Japanese economy because it's right there on the Pacific Rim in Asia. And the Aussie dollar collapsed this week dropped 25 percent, 25 percent. 
We have friends who are going to come over and see us. They say, we can't come. We can't afford to come. And Australia, for the first time in its history, is selling off its gold reserves to prop up the dollar. Many people say the collapsing Asian economies could bring down the mighty dollar. As I talk to you right now, the American dollar is the strongest currency in the world. Use it while it's strong. I've been preaching here from this pulpit talking about a worldwide depression. Do I still believe it? Yes, I believe it. I believe that the signs are being fulfilled. And I want to say to every person here in the church and watching on telecast, now is the time to invest your dollars in the work of God. Don't put it off, my friend. I have a friend over there in Australia who told me he was going to give $60,000 to build a church. I don't know how he's going to do it. He said, I've got $60,000. He said, when do you need it? I said, I'm going over there in January, and then when I get back, I'll tell you how to send it. He said, will I send it now? I said, don't send it now, just keep it in the bank. It's now lost 25%. Lost 25%. What's going to happen next week? I don't know. What's going to happen to the yen? What's going to happen to the Japanese economy? We don't know. But the signs are ominous. Don't take any advice and say, do it in a few months' time. I say, my friend, do it today. And then, of course, you're all familiar, as I am, with the ruble. When I first went to Russia... To get a ruble, I had to pay a dollar thirty. But when I go there now, to get a dollar, I give them six thousand rubles, because the ruble now is not worth a dollar thirty; it's worth one six thousandth of a dollar. And uh, I'm not planning to talk on the subject of giving money; I'm already doing it, but. I have friends who've said, we're going to put money into the work of God at some time in the future. I know people who've got millions who are planning to put it in the work of God. When you plan to put your millions of dollars into the work of God, they may be worth millions of rubles. That means nothing. And so now is the time to give for the work of God. And I want to thank the congregation and our supporters right across North America for their magnificent support. Today's topic is... Jesus Christ, superstar or super scar. Jesus Christ, was he a superstar? When we think of superstars, we think of people, at least I do, like Elvis Presley and Marilyn Monroe and John Lennon. Have you folks heard of those people? Young people here probably don't even know what I'm talking about. Elvis Presley, Marilyn Monroe, John Lennon, Harrison Ford, I'm getting more contemporary, Michael Jackson, people who are exciting, popular, wealthy, famous, and powerful. And I want to say this to you, Jesus Christ was all of that and far, far, far more than any of those things beyond marvelous, beyond human comprehension.
before he came down to this earth. He, my friend, was the creator of the superstars. Who was he before he came down? Because he did come down. Would you come over here to John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4? And every person, please take a Bible. And those who are watching on television, let me say to you, we are a Bible-believing church right here. And we invite you to go and get your Bible. And turn with me to John chapter 1. Many scholars say, I believe it, that this is the greatest book that was ever written. Not written by a scholar, but written by a fisherman. John chapter 1, verses 1 and onwards. Javier, thank you for passing out Bibles. Javier is a great head deacon. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. We're ready for the text, dear hearts. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. Let me give you just a little bit of theology. If, uh, if you don't mind. When it says in the beginning was the word. The word is God's thought made Audible. It is the very essence of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now the Greek doesn't say ha theos. It doesn't say he was the God. Because when you say ha theos, that means the God. It doesn't say he was the God. It says he was God. Because when the ha, the o, or the the, the the is missing. It is talking about character and essence and quality. It, was saying, it is saying this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God in essence. And then the Bible says, all things were made by him, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Who was he? Was he a superstar? Beyond superstar. Would you please come with me to Hebrews chapter 1? That talks about him. Hebrews chapter 1, and verses 1 down to 3. We're going to read it. Thank you, my dear friend. Thank you. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Book of Hebrews in the New Testament over towards the book of Revelation. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many, at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken unto us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things. Look at these words. And through whom he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. When it says, my friend, he's the very image of God, it means he's the very likeness, he's the very representation. What God is, Jesus Christ is. And the Bible says that the Trinity made the universe through Jesus Christ. He was the active agent in creation. Was he a superstar? Beyond superstar. Notice verse 8. 
But about the Son, he says, this is God the Father talking, but about the Son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. He is called God there, you see. And verse 10, he also says, speaking of Jesus, in the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the works of your hands. My friend, the word there, which is quoted from Psalm 102, is the Hebrew word Yahweh, translated Jehovah in the King James Version. And the father turns to his son and he says, You, Yahweh, in the beginning laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the works of your hands. Was he a superstar? My friend, he made the superstars. Beverly keeps me up to date on what's happening with the Hubble uh, telescope. You all know about the Hubble telescope, which is out there in space, floating around the earth. This tremendous telescope that is looking back billions of years into time. Every day, there is a new discovery with the Hubble Space Telescope, a new and thrilling discovery. Now, as everybody knows, everybody who's been to my church at least, in the Milky Way system alone, the Milky Way system, a galaxy, there are a hundred thousand million suns. Would you say that with me? A hundred thousand million suns. Think of a million and multiply it by a hundred thousand million blazing suns. That is in the Milky Way system, our little system. And with the Hubble Space Telescope, they have recently discovered not millions, but billions of other galaxies. And some of those galaxies... They can look back to the very beginning of time and they see them actually being formed. That's the wonder of it. When you look through the Hubble Space Telescope, you can look back in time and you can see the hand of God at work making the universe. Recently, scientists looking through the Hubble Space Telescope found a great chasm like a vast ravine and in the walls of this celestial chasm they counted hundreds and thousands of new galaxies millions of them in the walls of this great chasm like billions and trillions of sparkling diamonds who made it all my friend who made it all Jesus made it all. They've discovered, we talk about superstars. They've discovered superstars. Listen to this. In the Milky Way system, you have a hundred thousand million blazing suns. They have discovered one star recently. Can I have your attention? Can you think about this? They have discovered one star that has the light and the energy output. Wait till you get this. This is hard to take in. They've discovered one superstar with the light and the energy output of a billion Milky Ways. 
So you take a hundred thousand million blazing suns and you multiply it by a, a million and that is the power of one superstar star that they have discovered. How much do we know? And there was a superstar that made that superstar. Now my friend... Jesus, we're told in the scriptures, was the leader of the angels. And there were billions of angels, all these celestial messengers. He was loved and worshipped and adored by the angels and by the inhabitants on the other worlds. Did you know they've just got scientific proof out there in the universe of the existence of other planets? Never had it before. But they've discovered two planets out there, billions and billions of miles away. They've discovered two planets going around suns, and they've said this is most likely the norm in the universe. And Jesus was the leader of the angels, billions of messengers, Beings that excel in power and strength and glory. And they loved him and they worshipped him and they adored him. And he was popular in the true sense of the word. My friend, Jesus was far more than a superstar. He made the superstars. They've discovered one superstar that is bigger than the solar system. So if you get our sun, which is a million times bigger than our earth, 1.3 million times bigger than our earth, that means you could take 1,300,000 earths and put it in our sun. And our sun, which is around 90 million miles away, relatively close. You could take our sun and all the planets that are going around our sun, Mars, Saturn, Jupiter, out there to Pluto, so far out that you and I can't see it. And you could take all of this and the distance and the vastness and you could pop it inside this New discovery. What a superstar. He made the superstars. What is more, he made time, which of course is not fixed. Time is relative. As time goes past vast bodies in space, time is deflected and time changes. So time is not the same here as it is in other parts of the universe. And an object that travels at the speed of light ceases to know time. And so if you were to step into a special spacecraft and travel at the speed of light after traveling what would appear to you to be three or four hours, you would feel perhaps like lunch and you'd have something to eat like me 
you'd get the microwave and put in some potatoes and then you'd put some olive oil which lowers the cholesterol and then you'd put on a little bit of salsa to give it a little bit of taste and then you'd put on a few beans. See, very healthy sort of diet I'm on to keep going. And so after you traveling in the spacecraft for about four hours, you'd get hungry. And after a few more hours, you'd feel like tea, I mean dinner, dinner. And then you'd say, let take me back to planet Earth. And when you got back to planet Earth, because you had been traveling at the speed of light, nothing here would be the same. This Earth could be perhaps a thousand years older, but you would only be eight years older. Eight days, no, eight hours older. People say, do you really believe that? Of course, it's the truth. We know it's true. And there was a superstar that made time and space and matter and black holes. They think now there is a black hole at the very center of the Milky Way system. And trillions, zillions of planets on one occasion, Jesus was having an altercation with the Pharisees. And Jesus used an expression that sends a chill down my spinal cord. I want you to get a chill today down your spinal cord. Come with me to John chapter 8, dear heart. Are you glad you're in church today? Are you enjoying the blessing of being in church? John chapter 8, verse 52 and onwards, dear hearts. John 8, verse 52 and onwards. At this time the Jews exclaimed, Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you, keep, yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim is your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet fifty years old, the Jews said to him. And you have seen Abraham. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. My friend, these people knew what Jesus was saying. Don't you remember the story that is recorded in Exodus chapter 3? How Moses is out on the holy mountain and he sees a bush burning, but the bush is not consumed. And the bush says, or the voice from the bush says, Moses, Moses, take off the shoes from off your feet. The ground on which you're standing is holy ground. And then Moses has a conversation. And Moses says, who are you? What shall I say is your name? Because this person says, go and tell my people, I'm going to deliver them. And Moses says, what is your name? And the person says, 
I am that I am. Tell the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. I am whom I will be. I am almighty God. I am Yahweh. I am the first and the last. I am the word. Jesus said, that's why they got mad with him. Before Abraham was, not I was. Before Abraham was, I am. Who is he? He is the I man. He is the great I am. He is the almighty God, the super, 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 superstar. Now I say to you, the scene changes. Now behold him when he comes to earth, to a little speck of cosmic dust, 20, 30,000 light years out from the black hole at the center of our galaxy that is called by earthlings the Milky Way. Behold him when he comes to planet earth. His mother is a virgin, not a princess by royal rank as far as people are concerned, but she is a princess. She's a peasant girl. She's a poor, poor girl married to a poor carpenter. You would think that when the superstar came, he would have come at least in a golden carriage. But most likely he comes on the back of a donkey. Behold his birth. The Bible says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. What great city was he born in? Was he born in Rome or Athens or Jerusalem? No. A pokey little town. He was born in Bethlehem. Surely he was born in a palace or at the very least a mansion. No, the Bible says the superstar was born in a cattle shed. And the shed was kept, of course, for animals. When he was born, when his mother gave birth to him, there was no choir singing, Silent Night, but he was born to a symphony of mooing and braying and cluck, cluck, clucking of chickens. When he was born, the Bible says they wrapped him in cloths or swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Do you know what a manger is? A manger is a feeding box. It's a trough that you put chaff in or oats and straw. I imagine that Joseph cleaned it out 
and got some fresh hay. And then they put down the best they had. And in this feeding box, they placed the super, superstar. As a little boy, he grew up in a town that was notorious for its wickedness, Nazareth, in the north, in the hill country. His stepfather, Joseph, was a carpenter. And his father taught him as a little boy to make chairs and tables. He was good at making things. He was the maker. And so he seemed to fit very well into the world of the carpenter. His hands had fashioned the universe. Now he was making chairs. The very best chairs that had ever come out of a carpenter's shop. His parents were poor in this world's goods. I imagine they had to struggle to make ends meet. He didn't have several changes of raiment. In fact, we know he had one. He grows up, my friend, as you watch him, in obscurity and poverty. Where now is the superstar? Who would recognize him? The Bible says he has no form nor comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He didn't come with any band, no marching girls, no popular acclaim. The time comes for him then, when he's 30 years of age or thereabouts, to lay aside his apron, his hammer, and his chisel, and his plane. And he says, good, says goodbye to his mother, and he becomes a preacher and a healer for three and a half years. Did he become the pastor of some great famous church? No. Did he preach from an ornate pulpit with little flowers on it? No. Did he receive a generous salary from his church? No. Did he preach to an adoring congregation of sophisticated people with PhDs? In fact, was he a graduate of any seminary? No. Was he the chairman of some great committee? No. Did he write a book telling people how to do it? No. Did he go around giving seminars on church growth principles? No. His pulpit was a pile of stones or the stump of a tree. Where now is the superstar? The ceiling of his cathedral was the blue sky above. His congregation was composed of fishermen, farmers, peasants, a prostitute or two, with a few Pharisees along to gripe and criticize. His home, what was his home like? 
What was the manse like? The rectory? What was the parsonage like? Was it air-conditioned? Did he have a large library of books and a magnificent desk? And did he sit behind the desk and smile at the parishioners as they came to him for counsel? He said on one occasion, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He had no home except at the pity of a friend. For a time, even in this world, he became a superstar. He was popular. You see, he was healing. And any healer will be popular. He was healing the sick. He was raising the dead. He was opening the eyes of the blind. And for a long, long time, well, not for long, but for two or three years, he was tremendously popular. And people said, have you heard Jesus? But then the tide of opinion turns against him. His friends run away. He's betrayed by one of his inner circle. A man with whom he had broken bread goes and sells him out. He is condemned by the religious leaders. He is handed over to the civil authorities. He is found guilty of treason and the crowd that shouted a little while ago, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, now shouts, crucify, crucify, crucify him. Where now is the superstar? He is crucified outside Jerusalem with two villains. Who is he now? One could hardly think he's a superstar like we see on television, like those who come forward to collect Emmys with bright lights and applause. One would find it hard to imagine his even being in some religious gatherings. So he's crucified. And on the cross, he is not a superstar anymore, but a super scar. Because he came to this earth, the superstar who had made the superstars, not for worldly applause and fame, but he came to be a super scar. And I want you to take your Bible now and turn with me to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53. And I want you to reverently contemplate these words today as I read them to you in the Word of God. Isaiah says, Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, 
nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. My friend, by the end of his ministry, he was covered with scars. Scars tell a story of pain, suffering, and healing. He became, in the eyes of the world, a criminal. His hands were pierced. His brow was covered in blood. His back was like minced meat from the Roman lash. And so he became the super scar. I want to read you from one of my favorite books. I want to recommend this book to every person watching on television, everybody in the church. John Stott's The Cross of Christ. Read it. It'll touch your heart. It'll open your eyes. It'll give you a depth of understanding that perhaps you don't have now. Gandhi, the famous Indian, said these words. I could accept Jesus as a martyr, an embodiment of sacrifice, and a divine teacher, but not as the most perfect man ever born. His death on the cross was a great example to the world, but that there was anything like a mysterious or miraculous virtue in it, my heart could not accept. So Gandhi says, yes, he was a good man, and his death was a marvelous thing, but there was nothing virtuous about it. Turning to the West, perhaps the most scornful rejection of the cross has come from the pen of the German philosopher and philologist, Friedrich Nietzsche. Near the beginning of the Antichrist, written in 1895, he defined the good as the will to power, the bad as all that proceeds from weakness and happiness as the feeling that power increases. While what is more harmful than any vice is active sympathy for the ill-constituted and weak, Christianity. Admiring Darwin's emphasis on the survival of the fittest, he despised all forms of weakness and in their place dreamt of the emergence of a superman and a daring ruler race. His greatest disciple, of course, was Adolf Hitler. To him, Nietzsche, Depravity meant decadence, and nothing was more decadent than Christianity, which has taken the side of everything weak, base, ill-constituted. Being the religion of pity, it preserves what is ripe for destruction, and so thwarts the law of evolution. Nietzsche reserved his bitterest invective for the Christian, for the Christian conception of God as God of the sick, God of the as spider, God, as spirit, and for the Christian Messiah whom he dismissed contemptuously as God on the cross. 
God as spider, God of the contemptuous, God on the cross. But the teaching of the Bible is that the power of God is seen in the cross. And the greatest power, my friend, of the Creator God was shown when the Creator God himself came down, born of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and allowed himself to be nailed to the cross. You see, he is not merely a superstar. He is not merely the creator of the super, super, superstars. He is a super scar. You know the story, don't you? When Thomas wouldn't believe in him. And then Jesus said to his father, I guess, I need to talk to Thomas. So when Thomas is there with the disciples, Jesus appears and he says, peace be to you. And then he says, Thomas, feel my hands. Look at the scars. Feel my feet, Thomas. Look at my side. And Thomas falls down before the Lord and says, my Lord and my God. What won his heart? The scars. And that's why Isaiah says, with his stripes we are healed. It has been said he was wounded in the hands because what we have done with these hands. He was wounded in the feet because where we have walked, where our feet have taken us. He was wounded in the head because what we have thought. The prophet Zechariah chapter 13 tells the story, and I want you to notice it, please, about the super scar. Would you please come to this little book after the book of Daniel? And I want you to notice it, please. Zechariah, not Zephaniah. Zechariah chapter 13, verse 6 and 7. Zechariah 13, verse 6 and 7. If someone asks him, what are these wounds on your body? He will answer, the wounds I was given at the house of my friends. Verse 7, awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. My friend, everybody forsook him and fled. And the question is asked, what are these wounds, Lord, in your hands? How did you get these wounds? Why did you get these scars? And he will say, I received them in the house of my friends. Because of his scars, we can be healed. Because of his scars, we can be forgiven and redeemed. And so my message to you, my friend, at this time of the year is this. Jesus Christ is more, far more than a superstar. He is a super scar. And because of those scars, 
we can be healed. I keep coming back to John 3.16. I can find no greater text. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know it's been called the greatest text. For God, the greatest person, so loved the greatest emotion, the world, the greatest number, that he gave the greatest act, his only son, the greatest gift, so that whoever believes in him, the greatest invitation, the greatest opportunity, should not perish, the greatest calamity, the greatest tragedy, the greatest disaster, but have everlasting life, the greatest salvation. And all because he is more than a superstar, he's a super scar. Listen, in Washington years ago, there was a strange sight, strange in the eyes of most people. There was a beautiful young woman escorting a middle-aged man who was horribly deformed. His hands were gnarled. He was blind, was this man. His face was scarred. He was hideous to behold. And walking along one of the fashionable boulevards in Washington, D.C., came this couple and this young woman proudly escorting him. This man who was a scarred mess is she ashamed of him? No. Because when she was a little girl, there came a fire in the old farmhouse. And mum and dad were away. And the fire was blazing. And a young man beat his way through the fire and went in and found his little sister in the cradle. And he threw a blanket over her. And he preserved her beauty. And he held her to his chest and he burst out of the fire, on fire, scarred for life. Is she ashamed of him? No, because his scars saved her life. Are you ashamed of Christ? Never. I am proud of this Christ. He is a super scar through the ceaseless ages of eternity. He will have scars. But his scars purchased our redemption. More, my friend, than a superstar. He is. He is a superstar. But more than a superstar, I say to you today, Behold Jesus Christ, super scar. Please kneel. Dear Father, we thank you for this great, great God who became flesh. This great God, the creator of a billion, trillion galaxies, Blazing worlds, black holes, time and space and matter. We just stand in awe and amazement. And we worship you today 
the one, the true, the living, the creator God. Bless you, dear God. We worship you today. We thank you for the Son of God, God of very God. From all eternity, never created. One with the Trinity, the self-existent one. Who came and lived for nine months in the womb of a poor little Jewish girl. How blessed she was. Little wonder the angel said, from henceforth all generations shall call you blessed. So today we recall with love and affection the Blessed Virgin Mary that gave birth to the Son of God because he was not in any sense the son of Joseph. He was the Son of the Most High, conceived by the Holy Spirit. We thank you that he was born in poverty so that no one would feel left out that he worked as a carpenter, the most honest carpenter the world has ever seen, and that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was scarred for us that we might be healed. And we thank you that because he was scarred, we can be forgiven our sins and we can be restored. And we want that today. How many will raise a hand and say today, Lord, heal me of physical sicknesses, but most of all, heal me of spiritual sicknesses. Wash me today. Heal me. Take away sin out of my life, Lord. With his stripes, you are healed today. And now we just want you to lower your hands. And I want you with me today in your hearts to praise him. I'm going to say a little expression of praise and I want you to join in. This is the time when we praise him. We praise you, O oh God, that you are the creator. We praise you that Jesus was God made flesh. We thank you that he was born of the Blessed Virgin Mary. We thank you that he lived among us and as one writer said, it was heaven to be in his presence. We thank you that he was the Holy Son of God. He never sinned, not in thought or in deed. In the name of him who was called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, the Messiah, Jesus our Lord for his sake and for his glory forever and ever and ever. Amen and amen.